Thank you uh, to Evan for uh, filling in, uh, leading this morning through worship, uh, something he's never done before. So if you walked in this morning and said, hey, I don't know Evan was a worship leader. He didn't either. So uh, thank you, Evan, for, for doing so and always faithfully serving the Lord. I was joking with him this morning and said he preached last week and led worship this week, and he'll be running the nursery next weekend. So we don't, uh, but very grateful for you, brother. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, of course, as we are making our way uh, through the end of chapter 13 and the end of Hebrews. And as you do, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our heavenly, gracious Father, our King, our Lord, we thank you for today. And we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we open up your word, uh, we do so reverently. We do so, Lord, uh, expectantly. And so I pray, Father, that through your spirit, you would help us to um, hear your word and to receive your word and to respond to your word in faith. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you have for us today. We thank you for Christ. In his name we do pray. Amen. Well, as we go to Hebrews 13, um, I was reminded just as I was reading through this again this week, and um, as we're always least traveled, to be honest, and you, you kind of come to the end of a book, and I think about when I wrote papers in seminary, uh, not that probably any of them were that great, but especially towards the end, they would get a little sloppy, right? You'd start off strong, and you'd have good stuff in the, end, in the middle, and then in the end, at least my papers started to wane at best. And sorry, teachers, uh, if you don't uh, like that approach, that's just how I lived my life back then. Uh, but that's not the case with Hebrews. Hebrews is as good in the last uh, ten verses as it is in the first uh, uh, however many verses before that. Uh, so the end of chapter 13 is not some human writer wrapping up a book and filling uh, the pages and, and, and coming to a certain content level or word count, but it is some beautiful text here as we finish up chapter 13. Uh, this morning we'll work our way through verses 13 through 16. Uh, next week we'll likely go from 17 uh, through 19, and, and all of these passages, all these verses, all of these words. We'll see even phrases this morning that just drip with the gospel. And as we wrap up with the benediction, even final greetings, all of God's word, uh, not just all but the last chapter of the last 10 or 12 verses, all of God's word is good for teaching, correcting, and training, and rebuking. And so uh, this morning, I'm just uh, just reminded of how good God's word is coming to uh, to this passage uh, here at the end of Hebrews chapter 13. So let's read our text and then we'll back up and uh, dissect it a little bit. So Hebrews 13 verse 13, uh, therefore, so let's just back up to verse 7 because we know we asked what's it there for and uh, as Evan was uh, in this, uh, this, this part last week and started in verse 7 uh, which kind of starts a new section here in Hebrews 13. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their, their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And he kind of gets into this, uh, he kind of transitions a little bit which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
For the bodies of those animals, speaking of the sacrifices of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, whose blood is brought unto the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin and burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And we're going to see this carry through verse 13 here. Therefore, so because this is true, therefore let us, God's people, go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For there we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing unto God. And so hopefully just reading through that just kind of begins to saturate your heart and your mind and you you hear the word of God and you just like, wow. We see, I mean, just even a clear reading of this passage just points us to Jesus so clearly and specifically. But always, uh, there, with a little extra work, we can even see Christ more. and We can see the gospel more clearly. So let's kind of back up there to verse 13. really kind of starts in verse 11 and 12 and, and continues in 13. But with 13, when it says, therefore, can't turn my page. Therefore, uh, let us go to him, Jesus, who is outside the camp and bear the approach that he endured. So really kind of if I were to, to put two points to our text this morning, the first one is this. The first one is to go to Jesus. And then the second one is to live through Jesus. Because that's what we're going to see in this text is this call, this reminder, this command to go to Jesus and then live through Jesus. We see this in verse 13 which says go to him, go to Jesus. And then in verse 15, through him, through Jesus. Now let's do some things. And so as we go to Jesus, where is Jesus? And so in this text, it says he's outside the camp. He's outside the camp. You back up there in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals, those sacrifices, whose blood is brought into the holy places for the high priest as a sacrifice for sin. Now you can back up to Leviticus 16, uh, verse 27. We don't have to turn there, but there is clear instructions of how the Old Testament people and the Old Testament priests were to do these sacrifices. On this particular sacrifice, uh, they would take the, the bull the goat or the lamb, they would sacrifice them and they would pour the, bring their blood into the Holy of Holies, but they would take the carcass, they would take the remains, uh, they would take the flesh outside of the camp and go burn it. And so uh, this is a picture that we see here in verse 11, 12, and 13. So these, uh, to the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin and are burned outside of the camp. So Jesus, who we know is the true sacrifice, who is the, the only sacrifice that's ever uh, forgiven anyone for sins, because we know, as we'll see here this morning, that the sacrifice of bulls and goats and all the blood that was shed in the Old, Co- Old Covenant never saved a single person. It never forgave a single sin, but it pointed to the true sacrifice who is Christ. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. And it's just, it's so beautiful, right? And we're to be, be mindful that Hebrews, all through Hebrews, from the first chapter to the last chapter, one of the, the, the beauties of Hebrews, one of the purposes of Hebrews is to help us to understand how to read the Old Testament. As we say often, we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And so reading Hebrews and seeing that the object of our faith, the substance, uh, is Christ. And we see all these shadows in the Old Testament, these things that we just kind of got a glimpse of. We saw that beautiful picture in the beginning of Hebrews. And so here is this reminder again that of these sacrifices, that their, their blood is shed, and they're brought in the Holy of Holies, and their, uh, their flesh is burned outside. It says very clearly, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, how did Jesus suffer outside the gate? In a very practical sense, he suffered outside of Jerusalem. He suffered uh, on Golgotha. He was crucified uh, outside of the camp, outside of the city of the people of God. And so he became this sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice, and he suffered outside of the gate so that, in order that, for the purpose of sanctifying the people through his own blood will receive communion this morning as we do each week and we're reminded of the blood of jesus that it sanctifies and so it's this picture of jesus being the better sacrifice and so um so it says therefore let us go to him who is outside the camp and as we go to him let us bear the reproach that he endured so we see here, as we, as, we, as we see this picture of Jesus being outside the camp, it is this picture that Jesus is not found inside the camp. It is this picture, it is this reminder that we see all through Hebrews, and we see all through the, uh, the New Testament, that Jesus is not, his, his saving work, the work of his sanctification, his redemption is not just for those inside the camp. It's not just for those who are inside Jerusalem. It is not just for the Hebrew people, but that we see that he came to save and to redeem those not just in Jerusalem, but those outside of Jerusalem. As we'll, again, be reminded of time and time again as you read through Hebrews, as you read through Scripture. This means that Jesus is not found inside the camp, the old covenant. We know that he came to bring a new covenant again as we celebrate and commemorate communion this morning. As we receive this means of grace, it is a reminder of this new covenant that Jesus brings to his people. And it's a reminder, secondly, that his salvation is available to all. That his gift is not just to the house of Israel. And ultimately, as we see, as we read through Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament, we see that it's it's never been just for Jerusalem. It's never been just for uh, the Hebrews. It's always been for those who place their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And as we go to him outside of the camp, not inside the camp, but outside the camp. But it says there this, this interesting phrase, and bear the reproach that he endured. So as we go to Jesus, as we go to our Savior, as we go to the Redeemer, it says we go to him to, re- to bear the reproach that he endured. Now that's not a warm, fuzzy invitation, right? So let's go to Christ who's outside the camp, who's outside the city, and as we do, we're going to bear his reproach. 
So what is this reproach of Jesus that we are going to bear and endure with Him? And that, I believe, can simply be summed up by shame and rejection. The reproach that Christ was, the reproach that He took on, was shame and rejection. The very people whom Jesus came to save crucified Him. The very people in which He was from, the house of Israel, rejected him we see this in many places john chapter 1 verse 11 says jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him matthew 21 42 says jesus said to them have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and this was the lord's doing And it is marvelous in our eyes that Jesus, who is rejected, who is the cornerstone, uh, is is the chief cornerstone. So he's rejected by his people. And then Acts chapter 2, maybe some of the most clear language from our fiery um, preacher brother Peter says this in Acts in his infamous sermon. He says, men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst and as you yourselves know. So like, let's be very clear as he's speaking to to thousands and thousands of Hebrews. He says, this Jesus who you know and who was attested and approved and sealed by God and his works and all these miracles, there was no doubt who Christ was. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. What greater rejection is there than to crucify your own? To crucify the Son of God. You did this, Peter says. And you killed by the hands of lawless men. And so the reproach of Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, who who came to dwell amongst men to be their Savior and Redeemer, was rejected, was put to shame. And this is the reproach that he took on, knowingly took on. The reproach of Christ is his shame, his suffering, and his rejection. But if you turn over just two chapters, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, we see this, this language again. Hebrews eleven twenty six, Moses is speaking of. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so there's this, this very clear tie-in from Hebrews 11.26 to Hebrews 13.13. 13. This picture of, of embracing and taking on the rejection, the suffering, the shame, the reproach of Jesus because of a far better reward, a far better treasure. And the treasure is not streets of gold. The treasure is not safety. The treasure is not any of the benefits that come with salvation. But the treasure is not a what, it's a who. The treasure is Christ. And so the reason that we can willingly go to Christ outside the camp, the reason that we can gladly and with joy go to Christ and endure His reproach and bear it with Him 
is because he is the treasure. Because he is our joy. And if our joy is found in anything else, we cannot take on that reproach. We cannot endure that rejection. We cannot endure suffering and difficulty, things that we talk about often here at North Hills on Sunday mornings. Because there's lots of suffering in this world. There's lots of rejection in this world. Especially, if not solely, for our believers. And the way that we endure that, the way that we bear that, is by aligning our hearts with Christ and seeing Him as the treasure. A very simple sentiment from one pastor said, he said it this way, following Jesus means joining Him outside the camp. Following Jesus means joining Him outside of the camp. Now to the original audience, this meant something very clear that the authors, that the author of Hebrews has been saying uh, this entire letter, this entire epistle, if you will. And it's a reminder that, that life was not found in the law. That life was only found in Christ. That to, to, to keep them from returning, because many of these Hellenistic Jews, they were feeling the pressure to go back to the old way of life. They were feeling the pressure to go back to the old, to the old covenant, to keeping the law and all the things in and the temple and the synagogues. And it was this, this reminder not to go back. But to follow Jesus. To join Jesus outside of the camp. To leave the law behind. Because Christ had fulfilled it. And for us. It, um, it has a similar. It has a, the, same, the same truth. And not that many of us probably struggle with returning to the law, although there is an aspect that we all struggle with that as human beings, as those who desire to follow the Lord. And we almost always fall back into this rut of thinking that that following the Lord and and living for the Lord is living according to a set of commandments, but ultimately looking to Christ who has fulfilled those commandments. But I'd say even for us practically, as we think about uh, joining Christ outside of the camp. It's us being willing to leave behind any experience, understanding, or beliefs that do not align with the Jesus of Scripture. That being willing to leave our camp and go to the camp of Jesus. To leave our tribes, to, lead, to leave our understanding, our experience. To join Jesus in his reproach. And sometimes that is a difficult thing to step outside of our camp of experience, our camp of upbringing, our camp of understanding. But he says, let us join Jesus, for his is the only way. He says to join him outside the camp and to bear the, the reproach that he endured far Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I'll admit my failures. I tried memorizing that simple verse this week and uh, failed. And so I'm going to try to pick it back up this next week. But verse 14 is a reminder that we all need. For we have no lasting city. But we, who, are, who is we? The people of God. 
God's children, His people, we seek the city that is to come. Verse 14 is a reminder that we are citizens of another city to come. That as believers, as the children of God, as Christians, that we are citizens of another city that is to come. It is such a clear reminder that this is not our home. I love 1 Peter chapter 2, and I forget how long it's been, but we walked through 1 Peter years ago. And 1 Peter chapter 2 is where Peter reminds us that we are to live as sojourners, as exiles, as aliens. I reference back to that sermon this week as I was looking at Hebrews 13, and uh, that, t- that sermon was entitled, Be Weird. I don't always have the best sermon titles. I admit that freely. But that's in essence the call to be sojourners, to be aliens, to be exiles, to live a weird life, to be different, to be willing and ready and anxious even to live in such a way that it's clear that we don't belong. But yet we naturally navigate to being comfortable, do we not, and fitting in and acclimating. This week I started going through the book of Daniel just very, very slowly. I've read it many times, as many of you have. And it's just uh, uh, someone had encouraged me recently to read the book of Daniel. So I'm going through it very slowly. And you go back to Daniel 1. And it's, again, it's, it's, all, it's the same all through Scripture, right? And it's this call that, uh, that Daniel and these other young men were, were, were basically taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And they were, they were forced to live uh, the same as the Babylonians. And they said, no, we can't do this. We have to live according to the Lord our God. And, and we see this played out in this beautiful book and this beautiful story that we find in the first seven chapters of Daniel. But it's recognizing this is not our home. It's recognizing that we are, we are exiles we are strangers we are aliens as the people of god it should not be a comfortable fit for us in this life and uh, the jews the especially the original audience here that was originally receiving this letter i would say they needed this reminder likely for two reasons one that they were longing for jerusalem as we said earlier some were wanting the the life of the old covenant again. They're wanting to return to, um, to, the way, to the ways that things used to be. They were struggling with this. And as they learned how to walk with Christ and believe in Christ and look to Him and trust Him and what it meant to walk in the new covenant, understand the new covenant, and they longed for something else. They longed for Jerusalem. Some, many, grossly misunderstood Jesus as the Redeemer. They were looking for Jesus to come and to restore an earthly kingdom and to take over and to make Jerusalem great. And some were longing for this. Others were living and longing in Rome. And they wanted Rome to be great. They wanted Rome to be their home. And they lost sight that their home was heavenly. They lost sight that they were citizens those who had true faith in Christ, who had repented of their sins and trusted Him, they were citizens of a city that was to come. And believers today, we struggle with citizenship identity as well, do we not? We struggle. We often forget that we, this is not our home. That earth as a whole, the United States, Louisiana, West Monroe, whatever sub-community you want to drill down to, this is not 
our home. And we need a reminder that we are simply passing through this world. And it's a little easier for us to like be joyful that now, right? <laughs> it's like, praise the Lord. But it's just a little stop. It's a pit stop. It's not going to last long. It's not like that bad gas station, right? You stop at on a trip. We don't have to be here long. We'll keep moving. But regardless of how good and comfortable and pleasing this life seems or how difficult it is, we need to be reminded that we are simply passing through this world. This is not our home. And sometimes we need a reminder that what that looks like to live as, as foreigners in a foreign country, to live as exiles somewhere that we don't belong, to live as aliens in somewhere that is not our place of residence. We do not need to be entangled in that which cannot glorify God. I think that's just a good reminder for me, for my heart, for all of us, because we have to live here and we have to, to be here until the Lord takes us home. And we get that. We understand that. We have to be good citizens. We see that in uh, the New Testament. We have to uh, honor all kind of, you know, all kind of stuff and, and live as, as Christ-centered, gospel-saturated people in the world in which God has placed us. God has placed us here in the country, in the state in which we live, in the city in which, in which we live. But we need to be reminded not to get so caught up in the world in which we live. Not to get so caught up in our political climate, our financial climate, and our social climate, all the things that we get so riled up about, right? Let us remember that we are citizens of a coming city. So therefore, as we go to Jesus, we join Him in His reproach, recognizing the joy that is set before us as citizens of of heaven so if we join him outside the camp and we go to bear with him the reproach that he endured for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come but while we are here while we are coming to jesus in this world while we are coming to christ while we are joining christ secondly let us live through jesus not only do we go to Jesus, but secondly, we live through Jesus. It says through Him, through Jesus, through Christ, through our Lord, then let us continually offer up, and he says in essence three things here, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing unto the Lord. So three things he says that we should be continually, that we should be doing as we do this through Christ, through Jesus, through the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit. And one is to praise Him. Very simply, through Him, them, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And there is so much we could unpack there and walk through that. 
There, there is definitely an aspect of just as we talk about praising with our lips, acknowledging Jesus with the words that come from our mouth and praising his name and how we sing on Sunday mornings, how we sing in our homes, how we sing uh, even whenever ourselves driving down the road. But to praise the name of Jesus with our lips, we do that through song, we do that through conversation, we do that through all sorts of ways. And it says, don't just do this once a day, right? Don't, or just, don't do, do this just once a week. This isn't just a Lord's Day activity. This isn't just something that we do as the gathered people of God, but continually. It says, let us continually offer up a praise to God. And we know this as, as the church, and I hope that we know this as North Hills, that worship is not a day of the week. But it is how we live out our lives daily. It is in everything we say. That every word that comes from our lips can be a sacrifice of praise to God. Because what do we see? Well, that's not the case. We see a culture of we can praise Jesus on Sunday morning and we can curse man on Monday morning. And we see that the disconnect there is not so much in our words as it is in our heart and everything we do we either glorify god or glorify self everything we do in this life can be summed up in one of those two categories and everything we do and everything we say everything that comes from our lips everything that comes forth from our life is either to glorify god or to glorify self and worship, as we talk about worship and think through worship, and we you know, go often to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and to glorify God in everything we eat, whether we do whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we say, whatever we do, in all things, we glorify God. I love this, this phrase here, fruit of lips, or fruit of the lips. Be uh, not telling the full truth if I don't think of fruit of uh, fruit loops. <laughs> I say that fruit of the lips, fruit loops. But what is this fruit of the lips? I think about Matthew chapter fifteen, verse eighteen. Where if you just turn there real quick, just so you, I want to recognize, I'm kind of taking out of context in the context Jesus meant it, but the the truth is the inverse of his truth. You'll see what I mean when we get there. He's actually. Um, condemning these that he's speaking to it says hey explain this parable to us the pharisees ask him this is matthew chapter 15 we'll start in verse 16 he says are you still without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled but here's the truth that he's getting to in verse 18 but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So he says, I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about what comes out of the mouth is from someone's heart. And if you have a heart that is unredeemed, if you have a heart that is not saved, if you have a heart that is of flesh and not the spirit, then what comes from that heart is not of the Lord. And so this fruit of the lips that he is speaking of here in Hebrews chapter 13, this fruit that acknowledges his name, that continually is a sacrifice of praise to God, this is what proceeds from the lips of believers. 
Many people give lip service to Christ, and we've experienced this in our life, and I'm sure at some point we have done so as well. Acknowledging Jesus with their words, but denying Him with their hearts and actions. And we often say here that we have a, those who have a proximity to Jesus, but not an intimacy with Jesus. They know the things to say. They're growing up in the church. They grew up inside the camp, if you will. But their hearts have not been made new. They do not belong to Jesus. And so a, a litmus test, if you will, a, re, a, a check to see if you belong to the Lord is what is the fruit of your lips? Does it acknowledge Christ? Is there a continual, uh, is there a continual desire to lift up the name of Jesus in all that you say? Or do we glorify self? Now we know that even as James says, the book of James, and no man can tame the tongue. We, we realize that and recognize that. So it's not about living out of this perfection, but, 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 bring, but having this desire to bring our tongue under control that the fruit of our lips may be honoring to the Lord, may glorify Christ. Because as we live through Jesus, it will be evident. And so if you are a believer, it should be evident to those in your life to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to how you treat them, to the things you say, the things you say about others, and to whether you speak, to how you speak of the Lord, if you speak of the Lord. These things should be evident. The fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. But he also continues, he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So kind of, to some degree, combine these next two things, to do good and to share what you have. And just like the, the words from our mouth are sacrifices that are pleasing unto the Lord, these two are acts of sacrifice that are pleasing unto the Lord. As we follow Christ, not only will the fruit of our lips be about Jesus, but so will the fruit of our lives in what we do. So it is the fruit of our lips and the fruit of our lives that point to and worship Christ. As he says, do good and share what you have. This is so important. I know we, we talk about it often, but we need to always say it. But we don't do good to be right with God. But because we have been made right with God by the work of Jesus, we do good. So this is not a moralistic command or moralistic call to say, okay, go do good, and then you'll be right with Jesus. But it's the opposite. Since we have joined Jesus outside the camp and taken on His reproach and joined Him, and since we have demonstrated that He has saved us and we are His, and it's clear that we are His, then don't neglect to do good. It says don't go say you love someone and yet not be loving. Don't go say that you are kind and not be kind. Because if Christ is inside of you, then He compels you. So we don't do good to be right with Christ because we have been made with Christ because we have been made right with Christ, we do good. One author says it like this, the sacrifices of the old covenant were offered perpetually 
because they were never effective in removing sin. We see this in chapter 10. The sacrifices of praise and right living described in these verses are to be offered perpetually because Christ's obedient self-offering has effectively done away with sin. So because of what Christ has done, because He has redeemed us, because He has done away with sin, and I know we still struggle with the effects of sin, we struggle with the presence and the power of sin, and one day we want it all. But because He has done away ultimately with, with sin, then we can do good. And if we're doing so through Him, it says there in verse 15, then it will be good. Now, we can do good on our own, right? We can, we can have a, this appearance of, of doing good and helping others and sharing what we have. There's lots of people who share their wealth and share their time and share their hearts and do good towards one another who are not redeemed, who, are, who do not belong to Jesus. They're not doing that through Him, and those works will not last. But that which is done through Christ will. So let us do good. Let us share with what we have. For these are a pleasing sacrifice, a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. And really the the author here, the writer of Hebrews 13, he's kind of coming back to the the beginning of the chapter. We spent several weeks there in the first uh, six verses about brotherly love. Let this brotherly love continue amongst you. Do not neglect to show this brotherly love. Do not neglect to look to Christ as you do. And as he talks about hospitality there in the first verse. So now he comes back towards the end of 13 to remind the reader that all the stuff that Christ has done, let us continue to show love and do good towards the brothers and sisters in Christ. And brotherly love is inescapable for someone who has experienced the redemptive love of Jesus. If you don't have a desire to do good and to show love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you may not know the love of Jesus. And so is there are opportunities, not just in North Hills, but definitely in North Hills and in our circles around us and in our community. And uh, we share the love of Jesus, not because we're good people, not because we want to brand a church, not because of we want to look good to on social media, but we share the love of Christ to others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, because of the immense love in which Christ has shown to His people, to His children, then we return and show an immense love towards those around us. So then the challenge there for us is, is to look for ways to do good and to share that which you have. To look for ways to serve those in the church. To look for ways to demonstrate the love of Christ in what you say and in what you do. May the fruit of your lips and the fruit of your life be evident that it is from a heart that has been redeemed. Let Christ be evident in both of these realms, in your lips and in your life. And as we join Him outside of the camp, as we bear the reproach 
as we become heavenly minded, as we think about our true eternal home, as we remember who we are, are and whose we are, we will inevitably be a people who have the praise of God on our lips and who have love for people in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, this word in Hebrews that reminds us of all that you have done for us and how we are to live that out amongst us, of those amongst us. As we come to your communion table this morning, Lord, may it be a sweet time that we remember the new covenant that was poured out in your blood on the cross. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance to, to gather the table. We thank you for a chance to be under your word, to be able to sing as your people, to gather in a fellowship as your people. And may we leave this place as your people, being a sweet aroma in the community you've placed us. And there's one here this morning or one listening has never looked to you in faith and been given that new heart. Would you make that so clear to them? And by your spirit, Lord, and through your word, would you lead them to a place of repentance of their sins and trust in your son Christ? In his name we do pray. Amen.